The 360 on Energy and Carbon, hosted by 360 Energy. 360 Energy is a North American leader in energy and carbon reduction. Recently, we have launched the 360 Carbon Excellence Program, designed to make corporate climate change actions more effective and successful. For more information, check the link in our podcast description. On today's episode, we are joined by Anissa Rambali and Robert Hunt from Durez. Anissa Rambali has been with Durez Canada as a process engineer for the last nine years, working in both resin and molding compound production. She has been part of the energy team since inception in 2014 and has since then took on the role of energy team lead. Energy management has piqued her interest having undergone the initial training with 360 Energy and is now taking part in the carbon training. Anissa has also gained her Certified Energy Manager, CEM, designation with the Canadian Institute for Energy Training, CIET, in December 2020. Robert Hunt has been in the manufacturing since graduating from McMaster University in Chemical Engineering and then later earned a Bachelor of Business Administration from Brock University. Rob has been plant manager at the Durez Canada Fort Erie site since 2003, becoming involved in the site's energy procurement process in early 2000s. Now let's get into the episode with Durez. Welcome back, Dave. Well, thank you, Lysandra. It's nice to be back and looking forward to talk to our guests today as well. Me too. So today we are joined by Anissa and Rob from Durez. Welcome, Anissa and Rob. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, glad to be here. So to kick off this episode, who is Durez and what is your role there? So Durez manufactures a resin and molding compound, and we sell the product to our customers who make brake pistons, brake pads. It's used in the automotive industry. And I'm currently a process engineer and energy team lead. We're part of the Sumitomo Bakelite Group out of Japan. We had a bit of a uh, checkered history, shall we say. The plant originally started in 1970 here in Fort Erie and just was a Canadian oxy plant for the longest time. And then eventually became part of the Oxychem Chemical Group. And then in November of 2000, SBJ, as we affectionately know them, wanted to really become a global entity in the phenolic market. And with that, they actually purchased what was then the Durez division, Durez meaning durable resin from the Occidental Chemical Group. And we've been with them ever since and then part of a, an obviously global company. So I, I, I'm really um, excited about this because for our listeners who are, are from around the world. Durez in Fort Erie has been really proactive in managing energy as part of the subset of their production. And, and that's not something that is common for most organizations. They'll start it for a year or two and then fade away. And your team, Rob, and this is the lead of this energy team has been doing this quite frankly for since 2013. And, and, and that that's a compliment to your team and the leadership that you guys have done. So. I'm curious, so like, why did Durez choose to go with the energy team route versus a lot of organizations go with an energy manager? Essentially, we did have that and not necessarily a position as an energy manager. Essentially, with my time here, it just became part of my, my duties to actually look at the energy side of things, look at procurement mostly, 
natural gas, didn't really have to work, didn't worry about electricity, electrical side of the business when we first started, because it, it, it just was, it was the Ontario electrical market. That's what, that's what you dealt with and, and away. So anything from that aspect was all about natural gas. We started with a broker had that to help us with that purchase and, and the evolution as it continued along. Eventually, the Ontario market just became more complicated, the whole bit. At some point in time, I will say that we are a 360 customer. And with that evolution, just became more and more. And I, I will say with a little bit of prodding from Dave, he talked about this energy excellence program, probably starting, I would say, between 2005, 2010 timeframe. Uh, and you just go, well, what, what do we need that for? Essentially. The trigger for us here was when the, you know, every time you picked up the paper, there was talk of the electrical market. Again, there was a change in the electrical market in Ontario. Basically, it was no longer going to be this crown company dependence and everything else. And they talked about how the, the price was going to essentially double, uh, triple uh, in five years time. And we just took a look from a cost perspective and said, we're going to need to do something about that. Dave kept whispering in my ear about, Hey, I've got this energy excellence program. I think it's a way to, to combat and look at that, get a, a method to help you basically meet this challenge head on. And when we looked at that, I'll, I'll say the first thing we said is you can't have energy in the hands of one person because. And it's true that one person is the only one who knows what's going on. And this really needed to be more than that. The only way you can beat this energy, this change, this culture change that has to happen is you just need to get other people involved in that. And that's really what helped drive the sense that, yeah, you can't, you can't rely on having it in the hands of one person anymore. It really needs to be a thing where everybody is involved. You know, again, there's, there's varying degrees of involvement and, and everybody is touched by energy, right? Like you go and flip on a light, that's you getting touched by energy and it helps to get that knowledge into everybody's hands. And this was a way. To do it. So thank, thanks for that, Robin. And, and it, this is a question to both of you both can answer because of your, where you stand in, in your role in the organization, Rob, you playing the leadership as the plant manager and have a director role with the organization. And this, are you being responsible for cost center and, and then charge of as the, the champion for this energy right. team, what, and I'll start with you in this, what do you need to do to set up an energy team? Can you share with our listeners what you think are important ingredients that are really important to not only set up a team, but quite frankly, to keep the team motivated and engaged. So I believe key stakeholders need to be selected, like persons uh, from varying backgrounds who will play a vital role in the team and also who are interested. So in our case, we had persons from management, engineering, maintenance, finance, and production. So it was really important to like have the management support. So if you identify an energy opportunity, you know, you probably get capital investment. Having the technical part, they would figure out whether it's feasible and how these changes impact production. And then your other question on how to keep uh, the team motivated. I believe the quarterly meetings really helped us. So having like a good structure 
The formal training from 360 was also very important. So you laid the foundation for us from a knowledge perspective, and then we were able to build on it and having an energy plan and like sticking to it and constantly revisiting it, having accountability timelines. And Nissa touched on this already a bit, and Rob, so did you, but can you describe the range of positions included in your energy management team? Management, finance, engineering, process engineers, uh, maintenance, and production. What is the importance of having a range of positions in the energy management team? The expertise that everyone brings. So if you have an energy team, you'll figure out whether it's feasible, technically how to implement it. So everyone brought something to the table. Yeah, and, and that's so important. Like we, we all have our jobs to do, you know, being energy gurus isn't really our job per se, right? And so we each know different parts of the business so that when you do talk energy, somebody says, oh, look, that means this to me or maintenance. Hey, you know what? This is what it will mean in the maintenance department. It look at that. If you didn't have that team, that that's just not going to happen. Can you share um, what other benefits having a team, an energy team has brought to the organization? Is there anything else besides just looking at energy and controlling energy? It's actually helped your organization or benefited because you have an energy team in place? I would say uh, energy awareness, the sustainable aspect to knowing that you're doing your part to reduce carbon emissions. You know, again, it, it's just a way to look at the plant and what we do here in a different way. I'm just thinking with companies like Durez and, you know, other major manufacturing companies and things like that, we often have groups like diversity and inclusion or women in the industry, things like that. And I think energy is starting to become almost one of those additional groups that people can participate in. Because like Robin and Nissa both said, it is everyone's problem now. And we do need a diverse amount of people on the on the panels so that we get a good encompassing of what an energy team looks like. So I, I do think it's beneficial from having a team just because it's not one person's problem anymore. And everyone can kind of contribute to that. And I think that's something maybe we take for granted because we just assume Oh, you know, it's it's a team here, so it's a team everywhere. But that's always not always the case. Yeah, and, I, and I'm also going to share with our listeners that Dress doesn't know well, how they stand out in front of the crowd, even though I continue to tell them this. Like, they have a team that has been consistent, and the same players on that team since 2013. What is interesting um, to our listeners is is that. Uh, at least three of the five are engineers, which again, I would say to you is quite unique in in the field that we're in. Like you typically have one engineer and they have responsibility. They have a finance person that is heavily engaged and they have a maintenance person that is the MacGyver, like all maintenance people. And what else is they engage and get a variety of other people from their plant floor people that are doing hourly work that are engaged and are involved on an ongoing basis. So when I sit in the quarterly meetings, there's just new things that are popped up all the time. Again, I feel that because you guys do it because you do it, you can't compare yourself to other people because you can't see that lens. We can. And so there's some magic formula that you've actually done to, and I'm, I'm trying to extract that. And maybe you, you don't know what that is because that's just what you do. I suspect that's the case. 
But there is a magic formula that you guys have done that have allowed you to retain this and sustain it. Like, so again, most organizations will do it. And then all of a sudden it's the flavor of the month or flavor of the year, and then it disappears. But you, you've kept it going. So here's the question for you. What have you found the most challenging thing by using an energy team approach? Because listen, there's always work to anything. It's not, it's not just straightforward, but can you share with our listeners what would be the most challenging thing formulating and operating in an energy team? I would say uh, keeping the team motivated because keeping the plan running is our primary responsibility. And sometimes energy gets put on the back burner. So it's important to keep it in front of us. We constantly revisit the topic, uh, like I would say daily through our shift notes, weekly through our production notes, and also on the maintenance side. So it's just uh, constantly uh, talking about it. Then it becomes ingrained in your culture. Follow up on that. And this, because uh, the market is so dynamic and it changes so much. Is that become problematic to stay with it because it's just always changing and it's hard to keep up with. Because I, I would say too, that's what we find a lot of people, that's why they drop off is, is they just can't keep up with the change because they're so busy with other stuff. What are you guys doing to, to keep that knowledge base? I would say 360 keeps us up to date with the market changes, policy changes, changes in the program. I also subscribe to like the OEB. So I keep up to date with electrical pricing. So that really helps. But if like 360 was not a resource, it would be extremely challenging balancing like our actual roles and the changes with energy. Thank you for the plug there. But what other parties or support that you guys need to have from other like utility assistance, government, like can you share what else there might be that you need to make sure this thing keeps its legs underneath it? Yeah, well, we do as part of our energy team. And one of the things that we do is peak shaving. We do demand response from an electrical point of view. So that there is that. And that actually is that, that I would say that that's one of the challenges too, just with, again, demand response is you need to curtail. So that is definitely uh, a plug for having that team there. I, I, you know, and this is kind of our champion when it comes to curtailing. But I think there's times even the foreman comes to her and say, hey, look, it looks, I, I got the note, like, I assume we're going to be curtailing this afternoon. It's, it's a little bit of a, well, the expression is it's a little bit of a PETA, but it's a challenge because, geez, like we're, we're just on a good run with production and now we're going to shut down for, for this peak shaving. But at the same time, I believe that the knowledge is in everyone's hands is to know why it's important to do that. Right. And, and so as much as the challenge is there, it's important. And I think we do do a good job to get that information into everybody's hands to say, well, look, it's a challenge, but this is the benefit as to why we do it. Right. You know, getting others involved with our quarterly energy meetings. And it's not only happens with that. We have our, our natural gas supplier that they provide support as well. They have somebody that comes in and says, Hey, if you're looking at this, then we can help you from an incentive point of view, things like that. So it's actually interesting to me that, that every, with our quarterly uh, meetings that we do get people from the utility supplier to, to join our meetings. It's still interesting to me that they, that they do that, right? Cause I mean, you said it yourself, Dave, to, to us, it's, 
like we're here and we're doing it and we don't even kind of think about it anymore, but uh, I always get that uh, third party coming. It's just that sometimes while well, I'll use the expression, I'm sure my age, it's, it's, it's kind of cool. <laughs> so for our listeners, not only is a team and having the core team engaged, you've also used other people within your site that are engaged from time to time. And then you have other stakeholders, whether it's equipment suppliers, energy suppliers, whatever that might be, you actually are utilizing and, and getting them involved in to help out in the process. It's not a, just a one trick pony, the team, there are a variety of people that you engage and help out to keep this sustained. So I would say there is no end to a good energy management program. There are always improvements to be made and it's important to keep talking about it, keep the topic in the forefront and to keep up to date with the changes in the market programs and the policies. Yeah. And for me, as far as like setting up the energy team, again, it's been a while for us, but I would say when it comes to building the team, understand why you're doing it. Understand that that one trick pony can open up other possibilities to you. Like with us, we dealt with energy, you know, it fell to the one person, but with that, that understanding that there was going to be a change in the market, that it really meant that we had to change things and don't just think that it's going to just be, oh, I can do this for six months and it'll be over. So just understand that there is a process to it. This isn't a project. It, it's actually a, quite frankly, a management process that you need to engage a variety of people to be successful. And that's why I was excited to have Drez on because they, they have proven to be very successful in their efforts. My reputation a bit on this podcast is to ask challenging questions and ask for a very simple response. Dave and John, our co-hosts always get after me for that. So if you had to give us one line or word to explain what has kept your energy team long lasting, or as some people describe sustainable, what would it be? I'd say dedication. We're all dedicated to keeping this going. We understand the importance of it and making a difference to reduce energy. I, I think my word or three letters would be uh, DNA. It's really become part of our culture at this point in time. We have uh, quarterly meetings, energy meetings. I'll say sometimes they, they get uh, pushed out because ultimately our first priority is really to manufacture, right? And it's always, there's always something we need to do from a manufacturing point of view. And so, it, it, you know, again, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be your first priority. Oh, I gotta have to, I, we have to do this quarterly energy meeting. But what we do is in meetings, we have production meetings every Thursday. We touch on energy in those meetings. Every month we have what we call our four block, basically the month end wrap up, you know, hey, what happened the month before? What are we going to look at moving forward? And, and energy is actually one of those subjects. Like we obviously have our process lines and we talk about them. Hey, well, how did, you know, how did production go? How did quality go? But we also say, hey, how, how did energy go the previous month? Is there something we need to look at? Things like that. So it's just. It's just generally just become part of our DNA. And, and, and I will say to me that that's what helps sustain our energy team. Rob, you mentioned a great point that I think a lot of our listeners can relate to. I think oftentimes companies think that once you start involving energy, 
your priority is energy and not manufacturing and not producing that product. And that is not the case for a sustainable business case. You know, at, at the end of the day, we all know you need to get your product out. You have deadlines that comes first. But as long as energy is part of the conversation, you're already doing more than the majority of the industry. So I think a lot of listeners can relate to that. Yeah. yeah, And and I will say that is definitely some of the things that that occurred. Like we do the peak shaving, we do the demand response. But like last year, we, during the peak shaving, we just, we got to a point where we just said, look, we can't shut down. We had a discussion about it and we all knew the consequences of not shutting down. But you still had that conversation, right? Like you still knew what the consequences were, but, but you just said, look, this, we're a manufacturing plant first, regardless of what, what's going on. And, 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 and it matters, right? So. So you, you touched upon this a little bit, Rob, and just answering that question, but what, what are the uh, internal mechanisms on how you operate and what tools, for example, I know we haven't touched on upon this yet, but you, you actually invested in an energy monitoring system, but you, but that's just one tool. Can you, and, and this sort of kind of share what, what you think are critical elements in to operate that the team itself. So I believe you just touched on it. So we did invest in an energy management information system. So we call it EMIS. So it is a system that monitors steam, air usage, natural gas, and electricity. And so it's data-driven. So as engineers, we thrive on looking at trends, data analysis. So that really helped us to establish a baseline for usage. And then from that, we were able to determine when we deviated from that. So we looked at it, we knew like we had steam leak, there was something wrong with the boiler air compressor. So it's something tangible that we're able to like revisit monthly and we can also look at it in real time. So it's like an excellent tool that really helps us. Yeah. And so, so, and we've got the MIS. So that's really from a daily perspective. That's what drive keeping energy in front of us. Other tools that we use, like with, with the demand response, we've got checklists that when we do have to do that, people will go through that maintenance department, there's PMs that are specific for looking at energy, what could cause more energy usage. And so we're, again, got that, that plan maintenance program to take a look at that, hopefully before it becomes a problem. And if it becomes a problem in the meantime, then we've got the REMIS that, that will kind of not, you know, to do the, do the knock on the head to say, Hey, you better look at this before your plan maintenance says you probably have to. So I think we're touching upon something that most organizations haven't done or haven't done really well is putting in this energy monitoring and information system, because like you said, and this, if it's not in front of you, and if you don't have data, especially with the discipline of engineers, uh, it's not real. And so I think that you may, we may have touched upon something that uh, most organizations don't have. And because of that doesn't sustain it. So I'm, I'm so glad uh, you touched upon this. Now, that being said, that's not a simple thing. You just don't like, okay, put one in tomorrow. There's a lot of work and effort that has to go on. And your team did a lot of work to actually figure that out as well. I, I know it's beyond the question that you probably expected, but can you, for our listeners, can you guys talk at a very high level, what it took for you to put an energy monitoring information system in? Because I think it's important for our listeners to understand what it is and how 
you know, how important it is, how to set it up correctly. Yep. So like every plant or organization should have electrical meters and natural gas. So those already exist in the infrastructure. So it's just integrating that into a database. And we did have to install separate steam and air meters. And then also integrating that into a database that you can easily trend. We also pulled in production data. So we figured out the KPI, like the usage per pound. So that really helped us with the monthly monitoring. And is this information readily available to a variety of people or only selective to one or two people? Because again, I want to convey to our listeners, most times in the past when people put these systems in, it was one person's responsibility and only had access to that. But can you share with our listeners what you guys have done and if, if it was done differently from what people have done in the past? I believe everyone on site has access to it. So it spans from like management to the supervisor's level and production. You mentioned that you've been working with the same team since 2013, which I think speaks to the consistency of the Durez team. Many people see joining an energy team as another headache at work or another meeting to attend. And I'm sure some of us can sympathize with that. I mean, when you have a busy day, sometimes the last thing you want is an added, you know, committee that you joined. But does being a member of an organization's energy team help broaden the employee's career prospects? I would say yes. Like as businesses become more sustainable, they look at how these increases in like the cost of electricity and natural gas can affect their profitability. I'll follow up on that. So Anissa, just think about uh, your role as a the team lead. What have you done differently or uniquely because of you being the team lead? What exposure or things have you been asked to do that typically you wouldn't have been asked to do in your past or in your current role? I would say... Uh, just a quarterly meeting, we did have a presentation with the Niagara Care Group where we talked about energy management. And actually, I think we did have uh, the opportunity to go to Japan. Our head office is in Tokyo, and actually Anissa was able to present the MIS system there as one of our uh, continuous improvement activities, actually. So, yeah, and and just to get back to like the, the at that EMIS system, Anissa touched on having electrical meters and everything else. And I will say for anyone, if you've got an opportunity to, when you're setting things up, even if you're not thinking, I'm just not at the point where I can do this EMIS system. I know the one thing that we committed to uh, was that this plant started in 1970. As things progressed, you have to replace items. One of, one of the things that we had to replace in our three original production buildings was the motor control centers. And they had the, you know, 1970 technology with the meters and everything else. And when we actually replaced those, the normal replacement, so it's a capital, it was a capital project. But with that replacement, we actually put meters in with the, those motor control centers that had the capability for output to a computer system. Now, as part of that replacement, we did not hook up those meters at that time. But we gave ourselves the ability that in the future, we may want to know that data. It would be nice to know that data, but we're just not in a position to, to get, you know, to, to kind of do that next step. And so we already had built that foundation to help us get this EMIS program going. 
and then when we kind of got into the, the energy excellence team and did the team, we kind of felt, hey, yeah, we need this data. This EMIS system is going to be uh, a benefit to us. And, and that became this capital project too, in terms of putting the steam meters in and the air meters. But we had the infrastructure already in place. We had our PLC system in already, like a computer controlled for our process. And so we actually kind of had that foundation. And it meant that when it came to doing that EMIS, we didn't have to like start from scratch and people were aware Hey, I've got this process. Yep. I'm, I'm looking at process data, but now I'm also looking at energy data. I think that was actually a, a benefit to us. It ultimately helped uh, get the approval for the capital. And, and I will say SBJ definitely supported that from an energy perspective. We were able to show that, look, we will get some return by doing this too. We, we were already kind of thinking that way before we actually flipped the switch into an energy team. And it just kind of helped build on that foundation moving forward. We've conveyed to our listeners that you kind of are leading edge in comparison to the other marketplace. I'm curious to see, because you have other people within your organization, other sites that are within your organization. I'm sure you guys talk frequently when you have these meetings at head office. What's your sense? Where are you on the energy front as far as managing that in comparison to your peers in your organization? Can did, do you have any indication of where you stand in comparison to them as far as how proactive you are, what you do in comparison to them? Are you unique? Yeah, as far as North America, we are the, the leading plant. There's three other plants in North America in the phenolic resin molded compound side of the business. I know that there are meters that kind of go to a, a spot where they can see that interface and one of our other plants, at least one of our other plants. I'm not as familiar with what the other two plants as far as what they have from an infrastructure point of view, but I do know from an actual getting together and talking about what's happening on the energy front that we are the only one with a team and in the other plants, definitely it would fall to that one person and they would be that interaction. We are required on a monthly basis to report up to SBJ as far as uh, our energy use and, and things like that. You know, the world's changing quickly of, you know, we current events, but certainly now carbon and carbon emissions is being discussed more frequently. I believe and understand that your organization has been reporting this activity, meaning their corporation has been reporting this for a long time, but now action is required by most organizations. Can you share with our listeners if your energy team is touching upon this subject matter and, and how your team is working in the carbon uh, emission activity uh, for your site? So uh, this is a new topic for us. We just started talking about it to figure out what opportunities are there to reduce carbon. So knowing like the sources of it, natural gas, what can we do from that perspective? So it's really early stages, but we do have some ideas at a plant level. The next steps would be investigating those ideas and then determining the impact. It, it, it's kind of been a 180 for us a little bit. I mean, the, the principles are there with the energy team to, you know, look at things. How could we reduce energy and, and the like? Well, again, it's not just about reducing energy, but just look at it as a whole from an energy perspective, 
but really our focus before, and, and, and we already stated, like really what drove the energy team in the first place was looking at costs and it, and, and the cost came from the electrical side of energy for us. So everything we did kind of up to a point was, okay, what can we do on the electrical side? Oh, and by the way, what can we do on the electrical side with kind of a, a side serving of natural gas and, and water utilities and the other utilities, but with the carbon focus, like it's driven by natural gas, you know, that, that, that's where our largest carbon emissions really come from natural gas. So it's really caused us to kind of have to say, well, wait a minute, you know, from an electrical point of view, it needs this, but from a carbon point of view, it this, and from a cost point of view, it means this. And I think uh, as we move forward, it's really going to be a little more of that balance between, okay, is it, are you going to look at costs? Are you going to look at carbon or, you know, uh, there, there's just more things you kind of need to take into account as you forward, especially now that we, you know, the focus is on carbon. For our listeners, most corporations uh, will treat carbon emissions as a transaction, meaning they'll they'll buy uh, offsets or buy future renewables. What uh, Drez Canada is, as Anissa said, is the, the site you're you're actually actively involved in actually planning what you can do at the site level, which is quite frankly you'll want to know fairly unique again ahead of the curve. So. Do you think the, this foundation of your energy team, is that an important piece that you'll be able to utilize going forward to go after the carbon emission reductions at the site level? I would say, yes, the foundation is really important. So like initially it was, it felt like a big undertaking, but when we got into it and we became interested and we had the knowledge that really helped us. So tackling this carbon part of it is going to be challenging, but we feel confident about our background and our ability to make, make the changes to see the impact. It, and, the, and the, again, I'd like to say to our listeners, because of the, the, the membership retention that you've had on the teams, it's allowed that knowledge base to keep on increasing versus bringing new people in all the time that don't have the background. So. I think uh, based on what I, I see and what you're undertaking, I think you've got a great position to to demonstrate, again, your leadership at, at your site, not only externally, but quite frankly, I think, I hope that you'll be able to show that in within your corporation as well. To end off this episode, what is the biggest takeaway for our listeners? So we talked about quite a few different things here, but more so sustaining your energy team. What is a piece of advice that you would give our listeners to sustain their energy team? I would just take to start the discussions. Once you start discussing the topic, different uh, opportunities will start emerging. So we definitely saw it here and we definitely started saving a lot of money, electrical savings, natural gas. Start it, form the team and you'll move forward. Yeah. And, and I think ultimately the, the biggest takeaway from an energy carbon team is that it doesn't have to be another job, another task that you have to do. I, I think ultimately, uh, and again, not, not to say that there are things that you need to do in the energy area, but ultimately it, it does become part of the DNA. Hey, you know what? We're looking at a production scheduling change. What, what does that mean 
first and foremost, hey, we're a manufacturing plant. What's that mean from a production viewpoint? But what does it also mean from an energy? And it doesn't take, you know, another day to look at it from an energy perspective. It's, it's just, hey, this is what it means. We take that into account. And, okay, so we'll go, we'll do this instead of this or whatever, whatever that outcome needs to be. But it's just, don't look upon it as, as, oh, this is going to be just another thing to do because ultimately it, it just becomes part of the, 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 the conversation. It become it, it truly does just become part of the culture. It's just what we did. Yeah. It's become part of your routine, basically. Yeah. 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 That's right. I think they've said it. Well, I, I would just uh, bolt on that everything that they've done and do now, they're now, I suspect going to add carbon on that's just, it's just what you do. And again, they, they might take that for granted. Most organizations don't even know what carbon means and how to, how to do it. So because of what you've done and your team and how you guys have executed, I, I think you're well positioned to demonstrate not only controlling and reducing costs, but also demonstrating that carbon management can be good management and good practice for an organization to do, which will serve you your customers and your corporation well. So we'll look forward to follow this as we go forward. And for our listeners to know that uh, Drez, one of the sites that are participating in the 360 Carbon Excellence Program. So it will be measured. They see it. It's going to be a really interesting ride. So I thank you both for participating in this podcast and, and creating awareness and knowledge to our listeners. You're, you're welcome. Our pleasure. Anissa, Dave, Rob, thank you for your time today. That's all for today's episode of the 360 on Energy and Carbon podcast. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check us out on our website at 360energy.net and follow us on LinkedIn at 360 Energy Inc. Tune in to our podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, Anchor, or other listening platforms by searching the 360 on Energy and Carbon. You can watch the video recording and subscribe on YouTube at 360 Energy Inc. Email us your feedback at podcast at 360energy.net or comment on our LinkedIn posts. See you next week.